Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Carrie Mayer, author of the new novel, The Paris Bookseller. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, The Paris Bookseller, how would you describe the novel? Oh, well, it is a novel of Paris in the 1920s, which is, you know, uh, there's a part of me that feels like there's enough said there. Um, <laughs> um, but to, to add a little bit more, it's the story of uh, Sylvia Beach, who's an American woman who found herself in Paris in, at the end of the First World War. Um, and she opened the very first Shakespeare and Company bookstore um, in Paris in 1919. And, you know, it quickly became home to the lost generation writers, you know, all those writers of the 1920s that we know, you know, either completely expatriated to, to Paris or um, or just spent a lot of time there. You know, Ernest Hemingway, Ezra Pound, T.S. Eliot, um, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Gertrude Stein. You know, they were all her friends. And um, as if that wasn't enough, as if, you know, having, you know, this amazing bookstore and, and meeting place wasn't enough, she also published the very first edition of James Joyce's novel Ulysses in 1922, after it had been um, convicted of obscenity and banned in a trial in 1921. And so do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Paris Bookseller? Yeah, you know, it's actually it's a little bit of a longer story. I actually so Sylvia wrote her own memoir. It's a it's a quite a small book, especially considering what an amazingly big life she led. Um, but it, she called it Shakespeare and Company. She wrote it later in her life, um, and I I found it in like a used book bin at you know on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley, where I was a college undergrad. And you know, at the time, this is now we're talking about more than two decades ago. I was an English major, and I was obsessed with the 1920s. You know, The Great Gatsby was my one of my absolute favorite novels. I really loved Ernest Hemingway, um, and I was just entranced by this whole expatriate um, community that lived in Paris during this decade. And so um, I thought, oh. So Sylvia Beach, she sounds like she had a bookstore in Paris in the 20s. That sounds interesting. And so I read her book and I was just mesmerized. I mean, she she had such an amazing story. And but, you know, like I was just I was young and I was focused on other things. So it sort of got filed away in my brain under good to know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, uh, fast forward to two decades um, and, you know, I've written two other historical novels and I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, I'd really like to kind of stay in the 20th century. Um, who can I write about next? And um, very quickly, Sylvia Beach occurred to me. Um, you know, I, I, I still really love the 20s. You know, I still really love this period of um, literary history and, and cultural history. And um, I, you know, very fortunately, my publisher gave me the green light and off I went. That's great. Well, what research did you do about Sylvia Beach and 1920s Paris as you were preparing to write the book? Yeah. So, you know, this was um, this was a fun um, and also intimidating in some ways books to write because um, I, I was able to bring really a lifetime of reading to to the to the writing of this book. You know, you know, like I said, you know, uh, the Great Gatsby has long been one of my favorite novels. I've always loved Ernest Hemingway's A Movable Feast, which is also about kind of being a young man in the 20s in Paris um, and, and numerous other 
books from this time period. Um, and I didn't, I didn't reread them all, but I certainly reread parts of um, A Movable Feast, and I also reread um, very, very uh, slowly Sylvia's own memoir to really like absorb it um, uh, for the for the purposes of this novel. And there was also, you know, there was a lot of other. Um, books and research that I did. I there was um the definitive kind of biography of of Sylvia Beach is called Sylvia Beach and Lost Generation by Noel Riley Fitch and it's been out for quite quite a long time now. Um and I read that, you know, cover to cover slowly with a pencil in my hand to underline important sections. And then there were also two books um that have come out just in the last few years about the publication and the trials of Ulysses which were really important for me to understand kind of like the the literary stakes the legal stakes and just how the book kind of moved through the court system in the 20s and then later again in the 1930s and one of them is um called The Most Dangerous Book by um a scholar named Ken Kevin Birmingham and that was great and another one was called The Trials of Ulysses by a lawyer named Joe Hassett. And they both, together, they really helped me understand what was happening um, culturally and um, in, the, in the literary movement of the period. Um, and then I also got to go to Paris. Um, I, I was <laughs> I, the early stages of my research for the novel when um, uh, before the world shut down. Right. So in the summer of 2019, I was able to go to Paris and I had been to Paris before, but not again, sort of for decades. Um, and it was just fantastic. I mean, I, I could have written the book without the trip. Um, you know, many historical writers are able to write, you know, amazingly about places that they've never been. But I, I felt very fortunate that I was able to do it. And I, I stayed in the left bank, very much in the neighborhoods that um, Sylvia and her friends would have lived in and stayed in. And in fact, um, I, I, I love this story. And it's a, it's a sort of a, um, an accidental plug for Airbnb. I, was, I knew I was going to be staying a week. And I knew that a friend of mine was going to be coming and visiting me from London. So I kind of needed a big enough place um, to accommodate both of us for part of the week. And so <laughs> I was getting really depressed about my prospects of staying in this neighborhood. It's a very expensive, trendy neighborhood now in Paris. And so, but I found like Airbnb, you know, starts showing you things that they think you might want to see. And one of them actually advertised itself as James Joyce Flat. And I thought, <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> and in fact, one of the very first pictures in, you know, the, the, the pictures of the, of the accommodation was, the official, you know, French plaque on the building that says, you know, James Joyce and his family stayed here while he was writing Ulysses in the summer of 1921. And I thought, oh, my God. And because I have, you know, having just reread Sylvia's memoir, I knew about this apartment. It was an apartment that he borrowed from a French poet named Valerie Larbeau. Um, and she talks about them living in this apartment. So, Long story short, it no one actually knows exactly which apartment it was, but they know that it was in this building, which is sort of off the the main road um, on a leafy courtyard, leafy cobblestone courtyard in this like lovely part of Paris. So I did I did wind up getting to stay there. It was really um, magical to to feel like I was in the same place as as James Joyce and and Valerie Larbeau. And also, Valerie Larbeau was a very good friend, a lifelong friend of Sylvia Beach's. So she would have gone to that apartment building many, many, many times over the course of her years in Paris. 
That's a great story. Yeah. When you're a former bookseller, how did that influence you as you were writing the Paris bookseller? Well, you know, I, so when I first graduated from college, I found myself in living in Brooklyn um, and writing my first novel, um, my first unpublished novel, I should qualify. Um, and I needed to to work. And so I put cobbled together like a life between being a nanny, a part time nanny and a part time bookstore clerk. And it was uh, a bookstore that still lived, um, is in, in existence today. It's called the Community Bookstore in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Um, and it was a wonderful, wonderful place. Like um, everyone who worked, just about everyone who worked there was also an aspiring writer. You know, we were all essentially in our 20s at the time. And, you know, many, Brooklyn is known as a, as a very literary community, especially Park Slope. So um, many famous writers would come in and buy books and we would talk to them. And, um, you know, and when we weren't selling books, you know, there were many long hours, um, you know, when basically all the work was done and, you know, it was raining outside and no one was coming into the store. So we would all talk all the time about our own work. We would talk about the books that we were reading. We would pull things off the shelves and like talk about author photos. And, you know, in some ways I actually have an MFA from later in my life, but I always think of that bookstore experience as like my first MFA um, because it really was a community of writers um, and a fellowship of writers. We were all supporting each other, trading ideas and thoughts and fears. And I, I felt lucky that I had that experience and I was able to kind of impart that to the characters of the Paris bookseller who, you know, when the when the novel opens, none of them are famous. They're all they're all just struggling begin, you know, writers trying to get their careers off the ground. Or advance or in James Joyce's case, he was really trying to advance it to the next level. He was a little bit older than Hemingway and some of the American writers, but mostly, you know, they were just trying to make ends meet, trying to get published, like I was way back in the day. Interesting. Well, what was your writing journey that led you to writing your first novel that was published? Um, so my first novel is The Kennedy Debutante about, um, and it's like like the Paris bookseller, it's sort of known as biographical fiction. So I focus on one, the life of one real life person, but it's not a biography. It's definitely a novel. There's a significant amount of things that I, I felt that I could make up. Um, so I, you know, I came... To write that novel, um, gosh, it was so so long ago now. I um, I won't get in, do a deep dive into the background on that book, but you know, when I started writing that book um, around ten years ago, I had never written nonfiction before, but I did have five unpublished novels, <laughs> as I like to say, sitting in my attic and and on various thumbnails around my office, and I really there was a moment sort of in my early writing, when I thought to myself, you know, who am I to write this book about the Kennedys? You know, I'm, I'm just some like housewife mother with a five unpublished novels in my attic. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so there was, there was an element of like real humility with which I approached the material. Um, and, you know, two writer friends of mine, I mean, so two writer friends of mine, within like two weeks of each other said to me exactly the same thing. And it was especially meaningful because neither of these two friends know each other. They're from very different parts of my writing life, but they both said to me, but Carrie, it's your book, isn't it? 
you know, I was I was tied in knots about, you know, putting words in the mouth of you know, young John F. Kennedy. Um, so and that was really liberating and freeing to like, sort of think about this as like, this is my book. Yes, this is my book. I can, I can <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to be I'm going to be a responsible researcher and all those things, but it is my book. Um, and so that was what led me to writing historical fiction. And, you know, honestly, I can't believe it took me so long to get to historical fiction as a genre because in college, I was an English major, as I said before, but I was also an art history. I started as an, a history major and be, was also an art history minor. And one of the things that I loved about art history was kind of that, at least the way it was taught at Berkeley was, you know, in order to understand a p- particular painting from the 19th century in France, let's say, you had to understand the whole cultural moment that went into painting it and what would have gone into looking at it also. And I loved that. I loved the sort of piecing together of different literary and cultural um, and social movements um, that to help me understand this piece of art. And I feel that that is what historical fiction also does. Um, and it's was certainly what I'm trying to do in the, in the, my process of researching, which I, lo- I love the research as much as I enjoy the writing. Um, so it just, it just, you know, lights up a lot of different parts of my brain that I just really enjoy. <laughs> sure. And can you tell us about your MFA program? What was your experience like? Yeah. So I went to Columbia, um, and actually, uh, I don't have to search for the date. I started in the fall of 20, um, 2001. 9-11 happened with, on, like, on the first week of um, uh, last I was in New York on 9-11. Oh, uh, were, were you living there at the yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. I lived there for eight and a half years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So at that point, I had actually, fortunately for me, I think, I had already been living in Brooklyn for three years by the time I started my MFA. So I had kind of a New York life. And and I was commuting up to Columbia, which support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. 
um, for people who don't know New York geography. It's like it's almost like an hour long commute on the subway. Yeah, that is from, from where I lived up to Columbia. As we like to joke, it was the exact right length to read a New Yorker article. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like somehow those 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 journalists knew exactly how long it took to get from um, Park Slope up to to Columbia. Um, anyway, so. Um, the question is, what was my MFA like? You know, it was, it was a great experience. Um, I think I, I made some good friends there. I, you know, I was able to devote myself to reading and writing and reading some things that I would not have made myself read otherwise. And I think that that's so important as a writer is to read as broadly as you possibly can. Um, uh, and, and it was, it was good for me in that way. I also, as in my MFA program was able to get some teaching experience, which turned out to be really important to me to support myself in the early years post MFA. I taught full time, um, for, uh, I think eight years. Um, and so that was really important. And for a long time, the sort of synergy between teaching writing and doing writing was great for me. Um, you know, teaching the students sort of like doing the craft of writing my own writing with a kind of third eye on what I was doing so that I mm. could teach that to my students. That was really exciting. That's interesting. Well, are you working on a new novel now? I am, but it's, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about That's it. Fine. I, I will say that it, we do stay in the 20th century, but okay. we are fast forwarding to the 1970s oh. and we are not leaving America. <laughs> you know, it's funny Look, my first three, Kennedy debutante, girl in white gloves, and now uh, Paris bookseller. Um, these American women, and this is sort of just by accident that this happened. But my main um, American female heroines have found themselves in Europe for long periods of time. <laughs> um, but but this time we stay in the in the states. Well, well, given uh, you mentioned earlier that you taught writing, and um, as as you've said, this is your third historical novel. What writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? You know, um, it is this: it is find your people. Um, you know, as I as I think I described, like in my in my experience, at the community bookstore, and then also as an MFA student, and now later in my life as a historical writer. It has been crucially important to me at every stage to to be among my people, right? Other people who are also working on the same kind of thing that I'm working on um, and and kind of like in the struggle with me, you know? And this is important for a number of reasons. One is just fellowship and commiseration, right? Like, um, there is a lot of no in the writing life. Even once you're published, there's a lot of no. Um, and so it's really important to have people around you who really understand what that disappointment feels like, but also then what the, what the, what the wins feel like, who can really celebrate those wins with you. Um, it's also important to have people you can exchange your work with. I mean, this is so important. Um, you know, because this is how your writing and your craft grows is by, um, giving your your manuscripts to people you trust who are going to tell you what works, but also what doesn't work <laughs> um, and and help you figure out how to do what you're doing better. And I think, you know, those those are it's just so important to have a community. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, as I think we've all learned in the last 
all close to two years. Mm-hmm. The community doesn't have to be physically close to you. It can be entirely online. You know, and P- I often recommend to writers, um, you know, take an online class. You know, Grub Street in Boston, I happen to live outside of Boston, which is how I'm so familiar with them. But they, they, Grub Street is a, is a, they offer, um, writing classes. And they've had to move entirely online during the pandemic. And they still offer really amazing programming online. So you could be listening to this in Nebraska and take a class at Grub Street. Um, you know, same thing with the Gotham Writers Workshop in New York. And I'm sure there are numerous other writing um, places, you know, everywhere um, that offer online um, online uh coursework. You also might want to check out your commu- local community center for a live workshop. I actually taught a few. Um, when I lived in Connecticut, I offered um, writing classes through the local community um, recreation center to adults. So there's all kinds of places to find your people, but I think it's just so important to do. That's great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, wow. There's, you know, there's a lot. <laughs> um, and I am, I always like to say I'm a big audiobook listener. Um, most, all of my pleasure reading is on audiobooks. Um, when I, when I'm reading with my eyeballs, um, it's almost always I'm reading for a blurb or I'm reading for, um, research. And I am, I am unfortunately a very slow reader. So that, um, takes me a little while. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so of the audiobooks that I've listened to recently, um, a few have been really terrific. Um, so Vanessa Riley's uh, Island Queen is absolutely fantastic. I learned so much about the history of the Caribbean in the late 18th and into the 19th century. Um, and, you know, it's about this real life woman who rose from um, slavery to becoming one of the most um, um, prominent women, um, or people even in, in the Caribbean. It's really a remarkable, it's a remarkable story and it's beautifully told. Um, you know, another book, um, on on the totally other end of the spectrum that I really loved was The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. Um, and it's a contemporary, um, and it's about the word gunkle is, is a hybrid of gay and uncle. Um, and it's about, and, and so it's about this, um, it's told from the perspective of this gay man whose two niece and nephew come to stay with him in the wake of their mother's death. So it has a very poignant beginning. Um, and it's, it's funny and heartfelt and it's, it's just all the things you want a contemporary novel to be truly. Um, and, uh, he actually reads it himself. (laughs) Um, and I don't know what his theater background is, but he must have some because, it was a tremendous thing to get to listen to him read his own book. Um, he's just, he was a gifted reader. Um, it was so fun. I highly recommend it to anybody. And a third one I'll recommend um, is, uh, it's, it's long, but it is, it is well worth it. And it is just, it's very compelling. I, again, I learned so much. The characters are so well drawn. Is The Women of Chateau Lafayette by Stephanie Dre. Um, and it's, a, it's about three, it's the stories of three women at three very different periods of time. And one of whom is Adrienne Lafayette, um, La, uh, Gilbert Lafayette's wife, you know, Lafayette who helped with the American Revolution and the French Revolution. And I, again, I didn't know how involved he really had been in the French Revolution as well as the American Revolution. So that was a great book too. And then the other two narrators, one is um, in World War I and the other is in World War II. 
That's great. I actually interviewed her for the podcast. Oh, that, I that came she's out. great. Yeah, she, she is. Wonderful? Yes, she is. Yes. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Um, my favorite place online is Instagram. Um, and in fact, I also host a little show. It's a very casual show on Instagram on Mondays. I'm going to be picking up again in January. Um, uh, the five at five, you can, you can look it up on my, on my own, um, Instagram page. Um, I'm also on Facebook and both Facebook and Instagram are at Carrie Mayer writer. I have a Twitter account, but I'm just going to be honest and say I don't. I've, I've <laughs> never been able to quite get the hang of Twitter, sure. um, which probably says something about my age. Um, <laughs> um, but I also have a website, carrymayer.com. And um, I have some live events, live events and virtual events coming up in the connect- connection with the book. So um, I will be, all of those are posted on my website and on my Instagram page. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Carrie Mayer, author of the new novel, The Paris Bookseller. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Carrie, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time, Jeff. Great. This was great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Paris Bookseller by Carrie Mayer, narrated by Lauren Allman. Available wherever audiobooks are sold. It was hard not to feel that Paris was the place. Sylvia had been trying to get back for 15 years, ever since the Beach family had lived there when her father, Sylvester, was the pastor of the American church in the Latin Quarter, and she was a romantic teenager who couldn't get enough of Balzac or Cassoulet. What she remembered most about that time what she'd carried in her heart when her family had to return to the United States, was the sense that the French capital was brighter than any other city she'd been in or could ever be in. It was more than the flickering gas lamps that illuminated the city after dark, or that ineluctable, glowing white stone from which so much of the city was built. It was the brilliance of the life burbling in every fountain, every student meeting, every puppet show in the Jardin du Luxembourg, and opera in the Théâtre de l'Odéon. It was the way her mother sparkled with life, read books, and hosted professors, politicians, and actors, serving them rich, glistening dishes by candlelight at dinners, where there was spirited debate about books and world events. Eleanor Beach told her three daughters, Cyprian, Sylvia, and Holly that they were living in the most rare and wonderful of places, and it would change the course of their lives forever. Nothing had compared, not making posters and answering phones and knocking on doors with Cyprian and Holly and Mother for the National Woman's Party in New York, not adventuring in Europe solo and reveling in the spires and cobblestones of many other cities, not her first longed-for kiss with her classmate Gemma Bradford, not winning the praise of her favorite teachers. But here she was now, actually living in the city that had captured her soul. From the rooms she shared with Cyprian in the staggeringly beautiful, if also crumbling, Palais Royal, Sylvia made her way down to the Pont Neuf and crossed to the other side of the Seine, 
breathing in the wind from the river that whipped her short locks of hair across her face and threatened to extinguish her cigarette. She stopped in the middle of the bridge to look east and admire Notre Dame Cathedral with its symmetrical Gothic towers flanking the rose window and the precariously dainty buttresses whose strength still dumbfounded her. They'd been holding up those gargantuan walls for centuries. Soon, she was winding her way through the narrower streets of the Latin Quarter, which were still familiar from her adolescent wanderings. Though she got a tiny bit lost, it was happily so, because it gave her an opportunity to admire the Église de Saint-Germain-des-Prés and ask instructions of a pretty French student sipping café crème at the sidewalk table at Les Deux Magots. At last, she stopped at Sette Rue de l'Odéon, the location of Amonier, bookseller. The facade of Madame, ou peut-être Mademoiselle, Monnier's little shop was painted a pleasing shade of gray with a pale script bearing the proprietress's name above the large picture windows. When Sylvia pushed open the door, a single bell jingled cheerfully. A scattering of people stood here and there among the floor-to-ceiling shelves, stocked heartily with books. They were reading and browsing spines, but no one was talking, and so it was as silent as an empty church. Feeling suddenly shy about asking her question, Sylvia looked around and postponed her request. She was glad she did, for she discovered some beautiful editions of her favorite French novels and read nearly an entire short story in the latest issue of Vers et Prose. And as she did, the shop stirred to life around her. Customers made register-clanging purchases and chattier couples entered, filling the place with sound. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.